0: Now, on May 1st of this year, the Supreme Court agreed to grant cert in a case known as Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo. This is a case that is poised to potentially overturn Chevron versus Natural Resource Defense Council. Now, Chevron is a landmark case in administrative law that gave rise to a legal doctrine known as Chevron deference. So, today, on Legalese, I will be briefing you on the particulars of this upcoming case. Uh, we will be debunking some of the false narratives about this case that are being peddled uh, by the corporate media on both the right and the left, and of course, we will also be discussing uh, some of what Chevron deference is, why it is important, uh, how this upcoming case uh, might potentially change it, and what would the likely consequences of all of that be. <laughs> Hey, greetings, everybody, and welcome back once again to Legalese. Now, I am your host, Bob, and I want to thank you all so much for joining me here today. Now, if you happen to be new to this channel, uh, welcome. This is a podcast where we're going to be discussing all things constitutional law, as well as current events in other areas of law, politics, and culture. Now, don't forget to go check out uh, and bookmark my two new homepages, or my new pages, that is. One of them is a homepage and that is LegalEasePodcast.com. Now, if you go over there, you can find more information about myself as well as the show. Uh, you can find how to get in contact with me. You can find social media links. Uh, you can uh, find a place to go uh, buy my book, Constitutional Sleight of Hand, if you are so interested. And uh, the other site is legaleeshow.com And going here will direct you to my Substack newsletter, and this is where you can go to sign up for uh, essentially like a curated mailing list where anytime I put out new content, uh, you can be notified about that. So uh, don't forget to check those out. And if at any point uh, during this video you find yourself enjoying it and you want to help me trigger Al Gore's rhythm uh, by either fondling the video's like button or inappropriately touching the channel subscribe button, you are welcome to do so. And no matter what they say, I assure you, they love it. So let's get a little uh, background here on what we are talking about. As I mentioned a few days ago, the Supreme Court decided to grant cert on a petition to hear this loper Bright case that raises the prospect that the court might overrule Chevron versus Natural Resource Defense Council. Now, that Chevron case is the source of a prolific, uh, if not the most prolific, doctrine at play in all of administrative law. This doctrine is Chevron deference, which in a nutshell can be defined as essentially a two-part legal test applied by the court, when appropriate, that is highly deferential to government agencies. It first asks whether Congress has spoken directly to a precise issue at question, and second, whether the agency's answer is based on a permissible construction of the statute. Now, even if you're not already uh, familiar with the Chevron deference uh, doctrine or the Loper-Bright case, Uh, These have been widely discussed in the last few days in corporate media, and you may well have heard them being talked about, even if you weren't uh, directly aware that's what it was. Now, if you tend to get your news from sources such as Fox News or One American News Network, you have likely heard them talking about a case that, thanks to Donald Trump and his three Supreme Court appointees, has put the Supreme Court in a position where it is poised to strike a mighty blow against the deep state. If you heard them talking about that, they were probably talking about this Loper Bright case. Now, on the other hand, uh, if you are more inclined to get your news from sources such as CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, and the Washington Post, well, they they tend to see this case as one that will lead to the court usurping power from the other two branches of government, that will make our country a much less safe place to be than before and therefore therefore people will die and american democracy will be extinguished now i admit that that second description might not be uh, as helpful as the first since that happens to be precisely the description that they use about absolutely every fucking thing the government does that they don't completely approve of but we can get back to the particulars of all that a little later in this video. So for now, I think it should suffice to say that uh, both of these narratives are largely incorrect. So let's look at what this case concerns. Now, this case concerns the scope of the National Marine Fisheries Service Authority to impose requirements on shipping vessels. And in the initial petition for certiorari filed in Loper Bright, the QP put two questions before the court. The first one was whether under a proper application of Chevron, the MSA, which is the Magnuson-Stevens Act, implicitly grants the National Marine Fisheries Service the power to force domestic vessels to pay the salaries of the monitors, by which they mean the government regulators, that these companies must carry on board their ships. And the second question uh, concerns whether the court should overrule Chevron or at least clarify that statutory silence concerning controversial powers expressly but narrowly granted elsewhere in the statute does not constitute an ambiguity requiring a deference to the agency. Now, notably, the court actually only ended up granting cert on the second question, meaning the briefing and argument will focus on whether the court should overrule or clarify Chevron versus NRTC. Now, in this sense, this case is potentially very important. However, uh, pretty much any description that you will be hearing about this case. Uh, from either the mainstream media or from politicians, is likely making it sound much, much, much more significant than it really is. So for starters, the limited QP that the justices were willing to grant review on appears deceptively simple and straightforward. Especially considering that if they retained the first full part of the QP in the petition for cert, That an answer to that first question would have likely triggered an order of estoppel that would have likely stopped the need to even address the second QP, taking that larger issue of the validity of Chevron deference itself entirely off the table. However, the second question presented is actually far more limiting than most people, at least most people reporting on this, which would be media and politicians. It is much more limiting than they seem to appreciate or to be honest about. It is important to note uh, that the question presented here is not limited to whether the court should overturn Chevron. This is essentially how you're seeing it described. Instead, crucially, the QP asks the court, should it be overturned or in the Alternative? Should they limit Chevron by making it clear that a statutory silence does not constitute the sort of ambiguity that justifies deference to the agency? Now, I realize that's a bit of a convoluted way to state it, so uh, really, put another way, uh, this QP is asking the court to reinforce the principle that agencies only have the authority Congress has actually delegated to them, or, if you prefer, that a statute grants what it grants and the rest is silent. Now, what often gets overlooked in controversy surrounding Chevron is that its critics do not speak with nearly as unified of a voice as is often portrayed. Now, for example, uh, there are uh, those of us who take a very hard line on the non-delegation doctrine. What is that I hear you asking? Good question. The doctrine of non-delegation is the theory that one branch of government must not authorize another entity to exercise the power or function which it is constitutionally authorized to exercise itself. Now, many critics of Chevron it as being completely impermissible as an obvious consequence of the non-delegation doctrine, as there is simply no textual basis anywhere in the Constitution that would allow the legislature to delegate the power that they alone are given to make laws to administrative agencies. Instead, and likewise, there is no textual basis, that would allow the court to delegate their sole power to interpret the laws to any other branch as well. Now, this view, this more hardline non-delegation view, is one that we know is shared by at least two members of the court. Uh, The first would be Justice Neil Gorsuch, who has, his entire career, been a strong advocate of this textualist reading of the Constitution... Uh, and its negation of the validity of Chevron deference. The other one would be Clarence Thomas, who is uh, also a consistent advocate on the non-delegation doctrine, as he sees it as preempting the creation of administrative agencies altogether. However, the much more likely outcome in this case is the one in which the court goes with this alternative view of chevron deference. Now, that is pretty well embodied by an alternate opinion uh, in the second QP about a strict limitation of chevron. And in fact, many critics of chevron don't actually see the issue as whether or not to overrule chevron. Instead, they see the problem as one of returning this doctrine to what they would consider its proper domain. Now, this is a position that we know to be the position of two, at least two justices: Justice Alito uh, and the Chief. For sure, there may be others as well. That's not entirely clear at the moment. Now, the court grant in Loper Bright actually brings to mind and bears an incredibly striking uh, resemblance to a 2013 grant that came in a case known as City of Arlington versus FCC. Now, in that case, uh, the court also limited the grant to the underlying Chevron question. This is whether to grant deference to an agency's determination of its own jurisdiction. And they, in Arlington, left out the request to consider the intricacies and in application of the specific regulatory scheme at issue, which is, again, is exactly what they have done now with the Loper-Bright case. Now, in Arlington, uh, it was actually the agency that prevailed and came out in the majority, uh, but this was over a very forceful dissent uh, authored by Chief Justice Roberts that stressed the foundational principle that federal agencies only have the authority delegated to them by Congress. While deference about some questions may be warranted, the chief argued, uh, it is an abdication for the courts to defer to agencies on the question of what authority. The agencies have been given by Congress, rather, he explained, it is the job of the courts to determine what power an agency has been given before considering whether there is an ambiguity that might justify some degree of deference. Now, while the chief was writing in dissent on this particular case, uh, he has Harken back to this principle repeatedly in subsequent cases, I I think most notably would be uh, King versus Burwell and West Virginia v. EPA. And in fact, West Virginia v. EPA was a case that we covered in a video uh, not long ago during the Supreme Court's last term. So if you want to go uh, check that out for the first time or even go maybe uh, revisit that video, I will have a link to it uh, in the show notes section. You can go check it out. But as far as uh, the Loper Bright case is concerned, this really presents another opportunity for the chief to build on those prior decisions and to uh, continue to further vindicate his Arlington dissent by emphasizing delegation of authority to federal agencies is a departure from the constitutional baseline. And thus agencies can only claim the authority which has been clearly and expressly delegated to them. Now, this principle actually constitutes its own doctrine that has come to be known as Chevron Step Zero. And there are three cases from the 21st century uh, that actually give us this doctrine, and they're the ones we just named. So the first one is Arlington versus FCC, the next one is King v. Burwell, and finally, West Virginia versus EPA. Now this framework was perhaps best described by legal scholar Cass Sunstein in a 2005 Harvard Law Review article uh, you can find linked on my show notes page the article was appropriately titled Chevron Step 0 and in that article uh, Cass describes this idea this way that the chevron framework may not apply to a an agency decision not preceded by formal procedures and b to agency decisions that involve large-scale questions about agency authority. Now, the alternative option in the loper Bright QP that was granted review is, in effect, an argument for a more robust form of step-zero analysis. And in a 2020 Law Review article written by lawyer and legal scholar Jonathan Adler called a Step Zero for Delegations. He explains the persistent problem of the existing Chevron Step Zero doctrine and conveys a comprehensive vision of a more robust Step Zero analysis. Now, just like every article I mentioned on this show, this article too is linked over on the show notes page. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in this topic, I would really especially um, suggest you go read uh, Adler and Sunstein's articles about Chevron Step Zero. Uh, they are both incredibly well written. Uh, so, but we can uh, sort of sum up what Adler's Step Zero analysis in the paper in question uh, is. You know what it summarizes to be as follows: essentially, courts should scrutinize agency claims of delegated power more clearly. Particularly when agencies draw upon older or previously unused sources of authority. Delegation of regulatory authority should not be presumed, and if there is no delegation of authority, there can be no violation of the non-delegation doctrine. He says this sort of step zero inquiry into the nature and scope of any asserted delegation may help constrain these sorts of unbounded delegations that about which A majority of the justices and delegations' critics are concerned. Now, when it comes to the possibility that this case may actually see Chevron overruled, I tend to think that conservatives and liberals alike both seriously overestimate the effect that even an outright overturn of Chevron would actually have. Now, the general consensus seems to be that the result would be a severe constraint on the power of federal regulatory agencies and perhaps upon the administrative state generally. Now, while, uh, and this is something I've talked about in past videos at length as well too, uh, while I favor a complete overturn of the Chevron doctrine, I remain highly skeptical that this would have any great effect on the future of federal regulations nor would it really have any great impact on the existing power of the administrative state. Now, obviously my reasons for holding this position are uh, you know numerous and comprehensive. However, I have boiled it down to a couple of key points that I think uh, first of all uh, really hit on some of the most fundamental issues here. And second, I think these actually uh, address aspects of this case that most people probably don't think of when they look at it. So anyways, the reason I hold this position of skepticism over uh, the scope of an overruling of Chevron Deference uh, is one that, you know, we forget that the U.S. had a large and powerful federal administrative state well before the Chevron case was decided in 1984. Second, that many states have abolished Chevron-like judicial deference to administrative agencies, uh, and what's more, uh, many states never had it in the first place. So, where this is a case, and uh, Chevron-like deference either no longer or never did exist, we simply don't see these states showing significantly weaker executive agencies or a significantly lower level of regulations as a result. And third, a great deal of uh, informal judicial deference to agencies is likely to continue even in the absence of Chevron. Uh, And and this this part here is my own personal assertion, but I, I feel safe saying that surely... Many federal judges who have spent their entire career adjudicating administrative law under a system where Chevron deference has organically been part of the process would probably uh, be very slow to begin making that sort of change. And not even necessarily intentionally avoiding the change, but I mean, even almost more uh, possibly unconsciously. Um, But anyways... The point I want to make here is that, uh, yes, I'm saying that this repeal wouldn't have uh, the great massive change that many people, I, I think, are falsely believing it would, but I want to argue that I still think it is still very much worth doing. Now, in my view, while it would impose only a modest constraint on regulatory power, it could help protect the rule of law. And really, there is no occasion where protecting the rule of law uh, isn't, at the very least, moderately beneficial to the country and the protection of individual liberties. And so I want to stress that just because overruling Chevron would only have a modest effect on paring back our current federal regulatory scheme, uh, and while this would obviously fall, way short of the complete dismantling of the regulatory agencies that people seem to be assuming would likely happen because of this. Uh, The reason I take my position is that I think we should always bear in mind the wisdom of Thomas Jefferson in a very apropos statement he made to our current discussion that comes from a 1790 letter he sent to Charles Clay. Jefferson said the ground of liberty is to be gained in inches that we must be contented to secure what we can get from time to time and eternally press forward for what is yet to get. It takes time to persuade men to do even what is for their own good. So, While ending Chevron deference would not gut the administrative state, it would, however, have some important beneficial effects. It would, I believe, put an end to a problem that the uh, future Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, writing back in 1986 when he was still a federal judge, referred to as, quote, an abdication of judicial responsibility, end quote. Now, The idea here is that the Constitution gives judges, not agency bureaucrats, the power to interpret federal law in cases that come before the courts. The elimination of Chevron would also increase the stability of legal rules and make it harder for administrations to play fast and loose with the law. And this is a point that Justice Neil Gorsuch pointed out in a well-known opinion he wrote uh, himself when he was a lower court judge. On the Tenth Circuit. He says Chevron deference often enables an agency to reverse its current view 180 degrees any time based merely on the shift of political winds and still prevail in court. When the meaning of federal law shifts with the political agendas of succeeding administrations, that makes a mockery of the rule of law and undermines the stability. That business, state government, and ordinary citizens depend on to organize their affairs. And I think we see a great example of precisely what he is talking about here uh, now uh, with the current battle uh, that is going on with the ATF over issues such as pistol braces. The ATF, without any new uh, law, or statute from Congress delegating any potential ability to change policy, just magically decided overnight, without any uh, without any reason, without any cause, without any uh, public comment or consideration at all, just decided overnight to say that pistol braces make a pistol a machine gun. This is obviously absurd, and I think this here shows why, Uh, These specific instances like this would be very, uh, very easily dealt with if we had this sort of uh, reversal of Chevron. Now, there is one more uh, great article that I want to uh, briefly give mention to, uh, also by the constitutional scholar Jonathan Adler. This is called Restoring Chevron's Domain. Now, this... uh, Article not only makes a case for why a limitation of the doctrine is the most likely outcome in the Loper Bright case, but I believe his article also outlines uh, well. It's certainly what he believes the scope of this limitation would look like. And as a practical matter, I would have to agree that his vision of the likely outcome in this case and the reasonable consequences we can expect to follow in its wake is to me. The strongest and most logical outcome purely based on a practical understanding of the myriad of issues likely at play. So, this isn't to say that I think this is the best possible outcome from this case, in fact, far from it, just the most likely. Now, of course, as always, I have linked to that article on the show notes page. I highly suggest going and reading that if you are interested. All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, This is post-production Bob jumping in here at this point. I realize that we have not gotten uh, to all of the areas that I said we would be discussing at the top of this episode, but this episode ended up running much longer than I would like it to. And while I was recording, I realized the second half uh, had some modest rewrites that were needed. So if you will stay tuned for tomorrow, uh, I will have another episode out where we will be finishing this discussion and we will be going over uh, an article from the National Review and an article from Vox for an interesting comparison of what this case and the underlying matters of law in question are truly about. And then we will examine how do media outlets on both the right and left misinterpret or even possibly intentionally misinform their readers about those facts in accordance with the politically motivated narratives that they are trying to impress on their viewers. So that should be a very good show. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, so in the meantime, if you would uh please help me do all of those things that trigger Al Gore's rhythm. Uh, if you would uh, hit that like button if you liked the video, hit dislike if you disliked. Uh, please leave a comment. Let me know what you thought about the video. I always love hearing from you guys. Uh, And I guess until next time, this is Bob signing off for Legalese. And you know, of course, As always, cartago de lenda est.